opened up there in your Bibles just yet, go ahead and do so just now. Now, we have officially reached, I don't know if those of you who have been kind of doing it on your own, reading it, you know, the, the chapters of Proverbs on your own. I don't know if you guys notice if the chapters have kind of changed to where at chapter 10, so it would have happened yesterday if you were reading, uh, we're now seeing that like Solomon is giving like these like one punch, like little Proverbs. Anybody notice that? Where it's just like this short each verse is like its own standalone proverb rather than some of the previous chapters. There's been like a, like a theme of the chapter. You guys get what I'm saying? Did anybody notice that? Boys, did you notice that? David? Yeah. yeah? So today we're in chapter 11 and there are 31 of like those bite-sized truths in this chapter. Now, because of time, we are not going to look at 31 we're only going to look at five. But tonight, I want you guys, if you didn't read chapter 11 already today, I want you guys tonight, before you go to bed, just grab your Bible and read the rest of the chapter, okay? You think you could do that? Yeah? Nobody said anything there. Do you guys think you could do that? Awesome. So now in chapter 11, and then a lot more of the chapters kind of going forward from this point, we see Solomon, he starts to... Uh, give these proverbs in the form of what we in the English language would refer to as a dichotomy. And if you're taking notes, I just want you to jot down that word dichotomy and its definition. Basically, the way that these proverbs function is Solomon will give one thing and then he'll give something that's basically the exact opposite. So a dichotomy is a division or contrast of two opposite things. Okay, and that's kind of the approach that he takes in chapter 11. As we study it today, you're going to see that real quickly. He'll teach one way of living that is good and that is right. And then he will teach us about another way of living that is not right, a, a contrary lifestyle. And each of the Proverbs we're looking at today, he starts with the bad way of living and then he gives the good way of living. Does that make sense? So... I want you guys to think of the Proverbs that we're looking at today as like this picture on the screen right there, okay? What is that? Anybody know what we would refer to that as? A fork in the road. I heard some of you say that. A fork in the road. I don't know if you guys have ever gone on like hikes or whatnot, or maybe like trails you've walked or biking or things like that. But a fork in the road is where you are on a singular road and you reach a point where you can go left or you can go right. And I want this illustration to be in your guys's head as we look at these Proverbs, because I want you to think about it like this. Solomon is going to give the way of living that is not good as like the road on the left. And then he's going to tell us about the way of living that is good, and we'll refer to that as the road on the right. Does that make sense? So we are all, every day, forced with decisions of whether we are going to go left and do things according to the ways of this world, or according to our own flesh, or if we're going to, do, if we're going to go right and do right by doing what God has said. 
And in the Bible, you guys, this concept of like two roads is not something that is like completely unheard of in the Bible. Some of you may be familiar with this portion of scripture in Matthew 7, Jesus himself, when talking about eternal life, when talking about the gospel, he uses this illustration of two roads or two ways or two gates. They're all linked together to say the same thing. He says, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. We'll pause right there for a second. I want you guys to think, although on the picture I just showed you, both roads look about the same width, about the same you know, distance. They don't look too much different from each other. In your mind, I want you to see the road as the left, as this huge road where there's plenty of room and plenty of people on it, okay? The picture doesn't say that, but that's how I want you to think about it, okay? When talking about the ways of the world, I want you to think about that road as what Jesus describes as the wide and broad road that leads to destruction. And then he says, there are many who go by in it, or there are many who go by on that road. And that's why I said, I want you to imagine that there's a ton of people on the road to the left. But what does Jesus continue to say? He says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way or the road, which leads to what? What does it say? Which leads to what? Life. No, the the road we're talking about now, the narrow road is the way that leads to life. And he says, there are few who find it. So on the left, we have this broad road with a bunch of people walking on it. But on the right, we have this a lot more narrow of a road with not so many travelers on it. However, you know, going with the the popular choice is not always a good thing. And in fact, quite honestly, most of the time, it's a bad thing. You want to be on the road that is on the right. Solomon's going to give us some topics today. He's going to teach us some truths and he's going to tell us about, this is what the road on the left looks like. And this is what the road on the right looks like. Uh, Elijah, do you need a new seat? Because you don't seem to be able to stay focused around those boys. We could get you a new seat really easily. There's plenty of them. Are you going to pay attention? All right. Sorry about that, everyone. But continuing on, you guys, in the five Proverbs that we're going to look at tonight, think about it like what I just described to you, the road on the left and the road on the right. And we will revisit those things. And for each of these Proverbs that we're going to look at, we're going to look at the two roads, we're going to look at the two results, and then we're going to look at the one principle, because there is one principle within each of these Proverbs. You guys ready to dive in? All right, before we do so, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we have your word, Lord, in front of us, Lord, your word, which you have spoken out of eternity for the purpose of of us living in a way that pleases you. God, I pray that tonight it would be a desire of all of our hearts to live in such a way that honors and pleases you. And God, we know That if we live according to even just the the five truths that we're going to look at in Proverbs 11 tonight, Lord, that we we will be pleasing to you in those areas of life. So would you help us to not just hear your word tonight and for it to go in one ear and out of the other, but Lord, may we apply these things to our daily lives. And we look to you for that. We ask that you be honored and glorified tonight in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, so verse 1. Are you guys open to Proverbs 11.1 1 in your Bibles? Look down with me at verse 1. It'll also be on the screen for those of you who might not have a Bible in front of you. Verse 1 says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So remember, referring back to that illustration that we're talking about of the two roads, dishonest scales being an abomination to the Lord. What road is that? Come on, you guys. It's the road on the left. Exactly. Dishonesty and corruption is what is on the left hand side of that fork in the road. But on the right, what does he say? A just weight is his delight. And so we can think about the road on the right as being a road that is about being just and being fair. See, these are things that God really cares about. And scales and weights, you guys, are kind of like the key words in this proverb that kind of unlock what it's really saying. Because you might be like, scales and weights? Like, what, a, what does that have to do with anything? Dishonest scales, adjust weight. You see, for, for us, we don't often see scales like this, but this would be the scale that's being referenced to in this short proverb. You see, we think of scales as what? Like you step on it and then it tells you how much you weigh, right? That's often what comes to our mind when we think about scales. But the kind of scale that's being referred to in Verse one right here is a scale that would have looked like this. You see, this scale was used uh, back in ancient times, basically when purchasing something, right? Let's say that I was a, uh, I was a farmer, right? And I had goats and you wanted to buy a goat to go sacrifice at temple, or you wanted to buy a goat just to eat a goat, right? Goats are pretty tasty from what I hear. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had a goat, but anyway, let's say you come to me and I'm selling goats to you. I would have this rock that I would know, basically this rock is equivalent to like, let's say 10 shekels of silver. I would have the rock, you would bring the silver. I would put the rock on one side of the scale and then you would give me the amount of silver that would cause the other side of the scale for those two to be what? Even with one another. And that way I would know you paid me the proper amount and you would know that you gave the proper amount, right? But what, what Solomon says here is there were these things called dishonest scales. And basically what people would do in their corruption and in their greed is instead of putting a rock on, like for me as, let's say, the merchant, in, instead of me putting a rock that was, let's say, two pounds, right? Or yeah, let's say two pounds, right? and we weigh your side of silver to weigh two pounds, you wouldn't really know because it looks about the same size, but let's say I put a rock that was a little bit closer to four pounds. And so you're putting your silver on your side of the scale and you pay up, you don't really know, you're just looking at the scale and then they get even. What you didn't realize is that I just took extra money from from you, right? And Solomon says that doing things like that in that dishonest way is an abomination to the Lord. I want you guys to write down this word abomination. This is a, this is a word that you're going to see sometimes throughout the Bible. You'll see, you know, the word displeasing and things like that. 
when talking about things that God does not like, but then you'll see sometimes this word abomination. And it's important for us to understand this word abomination because it's not only something that displeases God, it's something that he actually finds to be disgusting. Now, I don't know if God can throw up, uh, but it's as though he were to throw up at the, the sight of someone doing this deed. Like it's that gross. It is disgusting to the Lord. He says, those who do things in that way, those who have dishonest scales, they're an abomination to me. But then on the contrary, on the road on the right, right? Remember, we're comparing those two roads. On the road on the right, the one that is about being just and being fair, God says that way of doing things is my delight. And that word just, I just said it a second ago, but just is doing that which is morally right and fair. Have you guys ever had like the, the raw end of a deal? Where like, let's say that, um, I think one time I just, it literally just came into my mind right now in high school. I forgot my lunch one day and my buddy, his, uh, his mom uh, packed him. I don't know if you guys ever had it. If you haven't, you, m- you might not like it. It's not for everybody, but Spam Misubis. Have you guys ever had those? One of my favorite like snacks, big in Hawaii, big in, big in like Japanese culture. Uh, but he had like a bunch of them. And so they're, you know, they're about this big. They're, they're like two bite little things. They're not very big at all. But I didn't have a lunch that day, but I had some cash, right? And he's like, all right, I'll sell them to you uh, 10 bucks a piece. Now, I don't remember if he charged me 10 bucks, but I remember that he overcharged me. But because I was hungry, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this deal. I got the raw end of that deal, right? I got the short end of the stick, you might say. But God wants our dealings with one another. You're like, what does this have to do with me? I'm not in business. No, you might not be in business. You may one day be in business. But the way that you conduct your life, God wants you to deal with people in a honest way, in a just way, in a fair way. So we mentioned it a second ago, but the two results, remember, we're looking at the, for every one of these Proverbs that we're looking at today, we're looking at the two roads the two results and the principle. Are you guys tracking so far? Is everything kind of making sense? Yeah? Okay, I see some head, enough head nods out there. The two results of these roads. So the result of the road on the left, which is a road of dishonesty and corruption, is being considered or being seen as by the Lord as abominable. Right? And that is not a good thing. Remember what we just said a second ago about how an abomination is something that God sees as absolutely disgusting? I don't want God to look at me like that, but he's going to look at those who do business or live life in that dishonest and corrupt way. However, on the right, living that just and that fair life, dealing with people in that way is something that God is going to delight in. That word delight, it simply means that he takes great pleasure in it. That he sees you dealing with people in that way. And, it, and, and it's as though it's something that rather than grossing him out and being disgusting, it's something that he sees and it's, it's like he smiles upon it. Do you guys want to make God smile? I'm in, I, I would love to be, you know, one who, when I get to heaven, you know, maybe God would tell me, Tate, the way you lived your life, you made me smile. That 
would just be like the coolest compliment to get to, to get from God one day. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Tristan. And living in that just way is like being delighted in by the Lord. So what is the principle of verse one? Is that God wants all of our dealings. You could, you know, substitute the word dealings with interactions, transactions, if you're in business, however you want to go about replacing that word, just as long as it, you know, the concept doesn't change. But he wants all of our dealings with one another to be honest, to be just and to be fair. You guys feel like you have a good understanding of what's being said in verse one so far? How God cares about you being honest and fair towards one another? Let's go ahead and move on to verse two. You guys ready? I see some of you still jotting down that principle. I'll give you like five more seconds if you're still writing to get that down. But it's relatively short, so it shouldn't take you too long. But okay, verse 2. Let's look at verse 2 together. You could look down in your Bibles or look to the screen. Verse 2 says this. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. And so, considering our illustration of two roads tonight, on the road on the left, we have a road that is all about pride and arrogance. And I don't know how you guys are noting this in your notes. I would just probably write something like left road or, you know, however, uh, pride and arrogance. And then other road, right road, humility. And I intentionally chose the right road to be the one that is right. So that it's easier to remember that way. But on the road that is right, the right road is humility. So we have this contrast of this one is, yes, a lifestyle, but jot it down in your notes that this one is more about an attitude of the heart. This one, yes, it, it, it you know, works its way into how we live and to how we deal with one another. But this contrast that we're looking at is more about the attitude of your heart. All right, let's spend a little bit of time talking about pride. It's a word that we see frequently used in the Bible. I'm sure if you've read through Old Testament, New Testament, you've run into this word. And hopefully you have a good understanding of what it is. But in case you don't, pride, when we're referring to pride, you guys, we're talking about arrogance. We're talking about thinking highly of yourself. Basically, it's the mentality of like, I'm the stuff and all of you are beneath me. Like that's what someone who is prideful thinks like. That they might not say that, but in their mind, in their heart, that's what they believe. That they are better than everyone else. And maybe not even better than everyone else, but better than this person or better than that person. That's how the Pharisees thought. They compared themselves to the tax collectors. And they were like, "Well, I'm not like this tax collector." It's an awesome parable or awesome story, actually. It's not a parable that we'll look into one day about how Jesus addresses both of those. He says to the Pharisee, the one who says, well, at least I'm not like this tax collector. He had pride in his heart. Jesus says, you know, he rebukes that mentality, but the, the tax collector cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. And Jesus delighted 
in that way of thinking because it was one of humility. You see, pride, you guys, is the chief quality of the devil himself. The chief quality. This is like his main thing. The devil is all about pride. He's all about sin. But you guys know that pride was the sin that what caused what for the devil? Where, where, where did Lucifer used to dwell? You guys know? He used to be in heaven. And then he was cast down into hell along with one third of the angels because of what? Pride. Thank you. Because of pride, you guys. You see in Isaiah, you could just jot down the reference. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, we learn about Lucifer's fall and how because he desired to sit, he said, I will ascend above the, the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. He wanted to be above God. It's his chief quality. But continuing on talking about pride, you guys, what I want you to understand about pride or being prideful is that those who are prideful will be opposed by God. If you are prideful, it's as though God stands in opposition to you. Now, I don't know about you, but it's probably not the best idea to have the God of the universe of all creation stand in opposition to you. It's not a good thing. But if you're prideful, that's the equivalent. It's as though God stands and he resists you, according to James 4, 6. It says that God resists the proud. But what does he do to the humble? It says he gives grace to the humble. You see, those who are prideful, you guys, God's going to deal with them. We can look at the example. Sorry if you're still taking notes. We got to move on. We're moving fast tonight. Those who are prideful, you guys, they're going to be humbled by God. It's not a matter of if he's going to humble them. It's a matter of when he's going to humble them. Because the Bible teaches that there's going to be a day when every knee will bow before the Lord. You see, there might be some people who make it to the end of their life, just constant pride, constant standing in opposition to God, but there's going to be a day when their knee will bow. And I really like the example of King Nebuchadnezzar. You guys know who King Nebuchadnezzar is? Book of Daniel. He's the guy who had a giant statue of gold made of himself to be worshiped. Basically, the story goes like this. You could just jot down that it's in Daniel chapter 4, verse 29. But in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, he gets these really troubling dreams. These dreams that really bother him. And he asks for the interpretation from his guys who weren't, you know, godly guys. They weren't, uh, you know, living for the Lord. He asks for the interpretation from them. Uh, but he's, he's like, give me the interpretation, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. And they're like, King, what you're asking is impossible, right? But then Daniel, he turns to Daniel. Some of the guys, they recommend, well, Daniel, you know, he's this wise guy. He interprets dreams. Daniel is actually able not only to interpret the king's dream, he's able to tell the king what his dream was, even though the king never told him. He's able to tell the king what his dreams were, the two. And then he gives the interpretations. And basically the point, the message that God was trying to communicate to Nebuchadnezzar in these dreams is that King Nebuchadnezzar, you are prideful. 
You have exalted yourself so high. And God warns him, he says, I'm going to bring you low. I'm going to humble you, king. And this was Nebuchadnezzar's warning. But as we learn in the story, the king, he does not heed this warning from the Lord. And you want to know what King Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation looks, looked like? I'll just read to you verse 33 in chapter 4 of Daniel. Uh, of, of Daniel excuse me. It says that that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. So this is basically, what this is saying is that he, he was given some weird thing where he couldn't control himself. He leaves the palace. He goes to the field and he starts stooping down and eating grass like an animal. And it goes on to say that his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. It's pretty disgusting. This, this once, you know, he was crazy, but, you know, he was a normal guy, like he ate normal food. He, he walked like a normal person. He was once like that. And because God says, I'm going to humble you, and he rejects that warning, God does humble him to the point of an animal where he's out in the fields just eating up grass. Probably didn't taste very good, right? But God, the, the point is, you guys, is that God will humble those who are prideful. It's not a matter of if he will humble them. It's a matter of when. Because God he does not tolerate pride. Jot that down in, in your notes if you're, if you're taking notes tonight. That God does not tolerate pride. It's not something he's okay with. And the way God deals with pride, you guys, is he, will, he is so gracious and merciful to us that he will give us a chance to humble ourselves. Have you guys ever noticed the phrase in the Bible, humble yourselves? You know what that means? It means do it yourself so God doesn't have to do it for you. Because the way that you're able to humble yourself is to just be like, Lord, help me to just have a small view of myself. Help me to see others as more important and as better than me. And it's like, okay, I'm going to try and start doing those things. But if God humbles you, you might be in a field eating grass like oxen like King Nebuchadnezzar one day. Probably not, but maybe. You never know. But you guys, God wants us to be humble. When we're talking about humility, the road on the right, what does it mean to be humble? And we're spending a little extra time in this verse two, this proverb for a reason. Because pride and humility are so important for us to understand, to make sure, because pride is so deceptive, you guys. It creeps into our heart when we're not even aware of it sometimes. But we can be aware of wearing the mindset of humility. What does it mean to have humility or to be humble? It is to be lowly, to have a modest view of oneself. The way I personally like to think about it is to have a bowed heart before the Lord. It's as though your heart within you before God, it's like you are taking a knee and bowing to him. That is the attitude of your heart. And that's the attitude that God wants you to have. He wants us to be humble. He will give grace to the humble is what the Bible says. 
I see some of you jotting it down. If you ever need any extra notes at the end of service, just come get them from us in the back. We can help you after service tonight. But moving on, you guys talking about humility, is that humility was one, is one of the chief characteristics of Christ. It's one of the most evident characteristics we see when reading about how Jesus conducted himself when he was a man upon earth, the life that he lived. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8, it says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Imagine that. The God of the universe with all the power steps into earth and takes on the form of a bondservant. That's what he did. Goes on, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross or the death of the cross. See, being humble is one of the chief characteristics of Christ, but also God wants us, you guys, to walk in humility before him. God wants you to be in a constant state of humility as you live your life before him. In Micah 6, 8, just jot down the reference. Don't bother copying the whole verse. You could look up the verse later. But it says, he, being God, has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? I love this. I love how Micah says it here. What does God want from me? What does he want from me? What does he want from you? To do justly. We talked about justice. To love mercy. Mercy is mentioned in another proverb that we're not looking at tonight in chapter 11, but you'll read it later. But the final one is to walk humbly with your God. God wants you to walk in humility with that bowed heart before him. And when we do humble ourselves as the Bible commands you guys, the Bible says that God will exalt us. The idea of exalt us is that he will lift us up. The one who has a bowed heart before him, he will lift them up. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So our two roads on this one, you guys, remember, the left is a, a road of pride and a road of arrogance, whereas the road on the right is a road of humility. But what are the two results? We're given these two results of these attitudes of the heart in the proverb tonight. Proverb verse 2, chapter 11, verse 2, that is. To be prideful, what it leads to, the result is shame and dishonor. Like what King Nebuchadnezzar experienced. The, the cool thing is, is after that point in time, King Nebuchadnezzar, he actually did repent. He, he understood after that humiliation, and he, he kind of changed from that point on. But on the right, you guys, to walk in humility, in Proverbs verse 2 here, it says that it is to, is to be wise. It is to walk in wisdom. And what is the principle 
of this proverb, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 2, is that God will bring the prideful spirit, or you could say the prideful heart, he will bring it low. He will bring it to shame. But the right attitude of the heart to have, the right one to have, is one of humility. Take the road on the right. Walk in humility. It's what God wants for you. God hates pride. He won't tolerate it. He kicked Lucifer out of heaven because of it. He won't tolerate it. Walk in humility. If you, everybody look at me. No one would, no one would actually say this out loud. But if you in your heart think that you're better than everyone else in this room or you're better than at least some of these people in this room, you need to humble yourself. You need to start considering those around you as actually better than you, as above you, as more important than you. That's the attitude of humility. You guys ready for the next one? So far, we've done verse 1, verse 2. What verse do you think we're going to be next? Three. Nope, you're wrong. We're in verse 4. <laughs> in verse 4, you guys, we look at verse 4. Verse 3 is a great one that you know, I, where you're going to read hopefully tonight before you go to bed if you haven't read it already today. But in verse 4, we read, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And so, our two roads with this one, we have on the left-hand side, pursuing riches, and on the right-hand side, we have pursuing righteousness. Just jot those two down real quick. Road on the left, pursuing riches. Pursuing basically means just going after, chasing. Whereas on the right, you're not chasing riches, you're chasing righteousness, and I love that. So the Bible has actually quite a bit to say about riches, you guys. There's a, lot, there's a lot in the Bible about riches, desiring to be rich, the danger of being rich even. And so some of the questions we ought to ask ourselves regarding riches is, number one, is it bad to be rich? Which hopefully you guys know that no, it's not bad to be rich. Some of you may come from rich homes. Awesome. I hope that your home is not only a home where you have a lot of money, but it's a home where you give a lot of money. Because God, if, if you are rich, that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to be a giver. Some people are blessed in that way. But another question we might ask, is pursuing riches bad? Is pursuing riches sinful? And I would tell you in response to that question that yes, yes, indeed it is. Pursuing them is bad. You see, what we need to understand about riches, and we're going to jot down some verses, we'll go rather quickly here, is that riches are temporary. I love what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 7, in talking about contentment. He says, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. I don't know if I heard it from Pastor Shadrach when I was in high school, but it stuck with me. Whoever said it, I feel like it was him. Uh, but whoever said it said, no one is taking the trailer with them to heaven. Nobody's riches are going with them when they die into the afterlife. No one's taking a trailer to hell either, by the way. Riches are temporary. 
They're going to expire. And Jesus in Matthew 6, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You could insert their riches on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another thing to note down about riches, you guys, is that pursuing riches ends in disaster. Pursuing, chasing them, going after being rich. I, I've talked to many people, not, not too many junior hires. I mean, maybe there's a handful of you guys, but I've talked to many people who are just like, I just want to be rich one day. Be careful. Be careful with thinking like that because the Bible teaches that it's going to end in disaster for you. 1 Timothy 6, back where we just were a moment ago, says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. A snare is like a trap. They fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, that's important to understand, doesn't say for money, it says for the love of money, is the root of all evil. You'll hear sometimes people say, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it says, for which some have strayed from the faith, meaning they might have been eyes on Jesus at one point in their life, but because of their desire to be rich, they took their eyes off Jesus and they walked in a different way, which led uh, to because of their greediness ultimately, but it led to them piercing themselves through with many sorrows. Pursuing riches always ends in disaster. Another thing about riches, you guys, is it's not a sin to be rich, but it is a sin to worship money. It's not a sin to be rich, but it is a sin to worship money for it to be what someone builds their life around. You see, Solomon, the guy we're reading Proverbs from, you guys know that he was like super duper rich? He was like the richest man alive? He was. King David, super rich. Abraham, way back in Genesis, super rich. Had great possessions. It's not a sin to be rich. It is a sin to worship money though. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a reference to money. And riches, you guys, what we're taught in verse four here in Proverbs chapter 11 is that riches, they're not gonna be of any good on the day of judgment. You see, the richest man alive, who, who is it? Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos? I don't know. It, it fluctuates from time. I don't really care who it is. Everybody be quiet. <laughs> let's just say that it's Jeff Bezos. I don't think it is anymore, but let's say it's him. The richest man alive, his riches aren't going to mean squat when he stands before God on judgment day. It's true. But we talked about the road on the left about riches, you guys. Let's now talk about the road on the right, which hopefully you wrote down, is about righteousness. Pursuing riches on the, is on the left road, but pursuing righteousness 
is on the right. And I want to explain righteousness to you guys in, in kind of these two ways. There is practical righteousness, and then there is positional righteousness. All right? Now, practical righteousness is simply put, is doing what is right in God's sight. So doing, making decisions, living your life in a way that you are doing right before God's sight. But positional righteousness is to be right in standing before God. You see, what the Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of the coolest verses in the entire New Testament and the entire Bible, in my opinion, is that God made Jesus, it says, for he made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus was perfectly sinless. And yet God made Jesus to be sin for us. And in doing that, that we would become the righteousness of God in him. You see, those who make it to the, you know, to eternity in, in, and they're, they're trusting in their own practical righteousness, if they're not positionally made right before God, then they will not be going to heaven. It's the bottom line. We need to be made positionally made right with God, and that can only come through Christ. Righteousness, you guys, is the road on the right, the road that leads to heaven. So we talked about the two roads. Let's talk about the two results. And we're going to pick up our pace here a little bit. The two results, the results of pursuing riches, that's going to be of no benefit on the day of judgment. In fact, actually, biblically speaking, if, if you're rich, you're almost at a disadvantage. Jesus says it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven. But the, the good news is, is later on in that same portion of scripture, the disciples are like, how, is, how can these things be, Lord? And he goes on to say, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So it's, it's actually pretty difficult to get to heaven if you're rich. But if you're pursuing righteousness, if your life is built on pursuing righteousness, then there will be deliverance from God's wrath in the day of judgment. So what's the principle with this one, you guys? I know it's kind of big. Try and jot it down real fast and we'll move on to our next proverb. The principle is that living a life that only desires to be rich will be a miserable life and it will be of no help. Your riches will be of no help on judgment day. But being righteous, and remember, when we're talking about positional righteousness, we're talking about what Jesus did for us, how he imparted his righteousness to us, and how God now sees us through Christ's righteousness. Being righteous through Christ will deliver one from eternal punishment. Now, our next proverb we're looking at in chapter 11 is we're going to jump down to verse 13. Verse 13. And verse 13 says this, A talebearer re reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit 
conceals a matter. Conceals a matter. So the two roads. We have on the left, the road of a talebearer, which we'll explain what that means in just a second. But on the road on the right, we have the road of one who is of a faithful spirit. And I think this proverb is like super applicable to you guys at your point in life, uh, because we'll, we'll get into it right now. A talebearer, you guys, is, is someone who is all about gossiping. This is super big in junior high. I wish it wasn't the case. Super big in high school, too. And honestly, you know, I feel like gossiping kind of maybe doesn't, it, it, it gets even worse when you're like older. Like old ladies love to gossip, too. So, so much so that like the Bible even like specifically addresses like older ladies in the Bible about their gossiping in First Timothy, I think it is. But a talebearer is one who gossips, one who loves spreading around juicy information. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, uh, Joe, Joe told me that he ate pizza for dinner tonight. And like, I'm gossiping and telling you that. Like, no, that's not what's being said. But a talebearer, you guys, is those who, when, when they're told something confidential, when they're told something, let's say that you guys... After, you know, after service tonight, you just have a heavy heart and you're going through some situation. You come back to me tonight and you're like, hey, can you pray for me? This and this is going on in my life. And I'm like, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then on Sunday, I'm up here on stage and I start talking to the, the whole room about what you told me you needed prayer for. You'd be like, dude, what are you doing? I would be acting like a talebearer in that moment. You see, let me be clear, in case you've never heard this, which for some of you, honestly, it might be the first time you hear it. Everybody look at me. God hates gossip. Three words that you need to understand. God hates gossip. He doesn't just like, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a sin. No, no big deal though. It happens. No, he hates it. Because when you gossip, when you're spreading around information about people, especially when you're spreading around false information about people, but even when you're spreading around confidential information about people, you are sinning. You are doing wrong in God's sight. And I'm being like kind of, you know, intense right now because gossiping is, is one of the, uh, there's a book I'm pretty sure called Respectable Sins. Sins that oftentimes are just tolerated and nobody really, you know, when, when they do it, they're like, ah, no big deal. Gossiping is oftentimes one of those sins that people see that way, but it is so wrong. God hates gossiping, you guys. You see, I was, uh, I was recently at a, a family get-together, and you can start jotting down because there's a little bit more on this slide, but I want to tell you in, in talking about gossip and, and tail-bearing is I was at a, I was at a family get-together recently, and some, uh, some friends of my wife's sister were there as well. And they were talking about, you know, just life and whatnot. And then one of them was, said this phrase, and you might chuckle because some of you might hear, have heard it, or some of you might even use this. But she says to her other friend, hey, do you want to spill the tea? And me, I'm not, you know, super hip. I don't keep up with all the trends and stuff, but I at least knew what that was because that one's been around for enough for me to learn what it is. But what they were referring to in saying, do you, let's, let's spill the tea, is let's gossip. And it, and it grieved my heart because they're both, they both proclaim to be Christians. 
One of them even works at a, another church, not this church. But I was like, what? Like, you're just like casually approaching gossip like that when God hates it? See, on the contrary, you guys, to go on the road on the right, the right road is to be of a faithful spirit. It's to be someone who's trustworthy. That if I were to come to you and say, you know, let's, let's reverse the roles that I come to you and I'm like, hey man, I'm, I'm just really, I'm going through this tough situation. Can you just keep me in your prayers when you think about me? And you're like, yeah, I'll keep you in my prayers, Tate. And you don't tell anyone because why would you? It's not your business to go around and tell people. You conceal the matter because you, there's no reason for you to share with others. That's what it means to be of a faithful spirit. Someone who has earned the trust of others. Have you, do you guys, hopefully you get seen by your friends as someone who is trustworthy. I hope you do. If not, maybe you need to check yourself on this one a little bit. Maybe you are a little bit of a gossiper. All right. And it's okay. Just repent, turn around. Don't keep doing that. Change your ways. But to be of a faithful spirit, you guys, is, is to be someone who others know that they can go to when they're going through tough times. So what am I saying? Am I saying that we should all be a bunch of secret keepers? Actually, to an extent, I kind of am. Now, here's the thing. If you come back to me tonight and you're asking for prayer and you're like, Tate, can you pray for me? Because tonight I'm going to go home and I'm going to kill my cat. <laughs> then I hate to break it to you, but I'm not going to keep your secret. I'm going to call your parents and make sure that that cat stays safe. And I'm not a cat guy. All right. Trust me. But that's, that's crazy. That's psychotic behavior. You can't kill cats, all right? It's not, not okay. But when, it's, when you tell me something, all right, reel back. When you tell me something that maybe you're struggling with, like a real situation, maybe your parents are going through a divorce, or maybe your, your brother is sick, or, or this or that, what, whatever it may be, if you tell that to a brother or sister in the Lord, that brother or sister in the Lord should conceal that matter if they're of a faithful spirit. I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd stop telling my friends who are gossipers my, my things I need prayer for and things I'm going through because they're, they're just going to blabber. Uh, but the two roads, uh, let's, let's get back to the two results. The results of a talebearer is that your secrets are revealed, but the results of one who is of a faithful spirit is your secrets are concealed. Now, don't think secrets as like, oh, my deepest, darkest secrets. But no, like I described, you're going through a tough situation. You ought to be able to tell a brother or sister in the Lord in confidence what you're going through. See, the principle of this one, you guys, is to be someone that others can trust with confidential information. Just be someone that is trustworthy. Honestly, that's the, that's the short version of the, the principle. Not someone who goes around sharing each other's secrets. That grosses me out. Gossiping really just grosses me out. I don't know why. Well, I think I know why, because it grosses God out. But when I hear people gossiping, here's what you should do. Everybody look at me. If you're ever in an environment where you're around some friends and you start to hear them talk in such a way that you think might be gossiping, get out of there. Leave. Who cares? Who cares if they're like, why are you leaving us? Because you're gossiping, and I don't want any part in that. 
You see, by being a bystander when people are gossiping, you are actually participating in it. You're having your hand in it because you're listening. You're entertaining it. We can't do that, you guys. It grieves God's heart. But our final proverb, we got to really go through this one fast, is Proverbs eleven fourteen, And it says, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You see, this, this specific proverb is a proverb that in my life, I've found myself going to on more than one occasion. Um, and, and I hope that, you know, you would jot this proverb down for maybe a future day, or maybe it speaks to you where you're at right now, but maybe probably not, because this proverb, what it has to do is it has to do with like big decisions, or I guess even small decisions. You see, in my life, what am I now? I think I'm 20. Yeah, I'm 28. I had to think about that for a second. I'm 28, right? I have, I have not faced like this mass amount of big decisions in my life, but I have faced a few of them. And when those big decisions come my way, what this verse teaches us is that I ought to seek counsel with others. You see the two roads, you guys, the road on the left is to make a decision with no counsel, meaning you're not asking what anyone else thinks about it. You just make the decision. Okay. You could go that way, or you could go to the road on the right and consult a multitude of counselors. Now, this isn't saying like you got to go find 100 people with your life decision that you're facing, and you got to get, you got to take a poll. Who says you should move to Texas? Who says you shouldn't move to Texas or whatever, right? That's not what it's saying. But talk to people about, you know, talk to older brothers and sisters in the Lord about this decision, get their advice, get their counsel. It's a good thing. And the two results, you guys, of these roads on the left with no counsel is falling, falling flat on your face, making wrong decisions, honestly. But on the right, when you seek the, the, the advice, the wisdom of, of older brothers and sisters in the Lord, don't go seek the counsel of the, the world. Psalm 1 talks about that. But seek the counsel of those who, who have been walking with the Lord for some time. Guys, guess what? I'm about to blow your mind. Ready? Us leaders, we're here to help be part of those multitude of counselors, to help you walk through things in your life. We don't just show up to just stand around and ask you how your dog's doing and whatnot. No, we want to help you through real stuff as you walk through this life. So what's the principle of this last one? And then we'll close. The principle is when faced with big decisions, you guys, don't make them on your own. Seek the advice, seek the counsel of older men and women of God. Boys, you go to older men of God. Women, you go to older women of God who are wise and who are godly. It is good that you do so. And as we close, you guys, worship team, you guys come on out. As we wrap up, I want you guys to think back with me all the way back to some of the first pages of the Bible. When Adam and Eve are in the garden, Adam and Eve, they had been given counsel by the Lord, right? He gave them of all the, the fruits, all the, the veggies, everything that they wanted to eat. He gave it to them, but he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, 
I'm giving you this road on the left, but I don't want you to take the road on the right for the sake of our example, right? We're, we're sticking to that example. Don't go on the road on the left. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, don't go on the road on the left. Don't eat the, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Go on the one that I've prepared for you, the road on the right. But the, servant, the serpent, excuse me, comes and he deceives them into thinking that there's a better way. And you see, I want to put it like this, you guys. Adam and Eve were at a fork in the road where they made a decision whether they were going to do things their way or the way of the serpent or God's way. And we know what they chose. But every single day, you and I are faced with the decision of are we going to walk in our own wisdom or in the ways of the world or are we going to walk in doing what God has said? Every day we have that choice to make. Are we going to take the road that displeases God or are we going to take the one that pleases him? Pray that today you would choose to walk in his ways. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, we don't have to wonder what the right thing is. Lord, that you've made it so clear through your holy and precious word to us how you want us to live. It's not up for debate. You, you've said it. You've said how you want us to live. And God, for every true child of God in here tonight, Lord, our, our hearts cry is to please you. It's to not walk in the ways of the world that, that grieve your heart, but to walk in such a way that, Lord, as we mentioned earlier, Lord, that we would hear the words come from your mouth, Lord, that, that our lives made you smile, or as, as Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant, Lord. We want to hear those words so badly when we get to be with you face to face, Lord. Help us not to be those who have a bunch of head knowledge about your word and about what is right and what is wrong, but help us to be true doers of the word. Lord, those who, who do what's right, who walk in justice, in mercy, who walk in humility, Lord, and so much more. Lord, we, we turn to to worship you now because you are worthy. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, Lord, and sending your son and that because of him, because of what he did on behalf of us, on behalf of our sin, you have imparted his righteousness on us. And Lord, though we're all messed up and we have our flaws and we have our failures, you don't see us in that way. You see us through the, the righteousness of Christ. <laughs> you are so good, Lord. You're, you're such a good God, and you love us. And we thank you for these things. Pray that we would, we, we would worship you in, in spirit and truth tonight, Lord, in a, in a way that honors and pleases you. We give you this time in Jesus' name.